Brother Trucker Book Club podcast, episode 107. This is Friday. Uh, I recently read a book that made the best of the year list already, and it's March. I've uh, got some important things to talk about it real quick. Figured I'd just do a little bonus episode, so have a happy weekend. Here we go. Ready and... Ugh, Friday, right? I'm actually sitting on the side of the I-80 right now because my truck blew a tire and it's so early that I'm, I'm waiting for the nearest tire company, which fortunately is only about seven miles behind me, to send a rig out to, uh, to put a new one on me. But anyway, I'm going to introduce a concept to you guys. Uh, as you know, I served a mission in Barcelona, Spain for my church about 14, 15 years ago. And uh, missions end up kind of developing their own culture. The, the missionaries kind of make their own uh, lingo, not necessarily slang, because uh, one of the bits of our mission culture was obedience, and we had a rule against slang, but lingo was a little bit different. Uh, I credit this one to a guy named Wade Peterson. He, uh, he had this concept called hand. Let me explain what it was. Uh, the mail in Spain only ran about five days a week, and uh, it was pretty slow. Um, we would only email once a week, and we were only supposed to email our family members because, you know, getting too hung up on, on emailing back and forth with, you know, girls and friends and whatever would just eat up a lot of time. We were, we'd go to a little internet cafe, we'd spend 30 minutes, we'd read our mail from our families, we'd write them a mail, uh, a message back, and, and that was that. So uh, if we wanted to write anybody else, we'd, we'd drop them a letter in the snail mail, and, and uh, you know, we'd wait a week for it to get across the Atlantic, a week for them to get around to writing a reply, another week for it to come. So it was it was weeks before you'd hear back. I mean, geez, it was almost like the olden days. Uh, so getting a letter in the mail from a girl was, was a pretty special thing. If a girl would send you a package, that would take even longer because you wouldn't want it sent to the city that you were living in in case you got transferred and sent somewhere else. So you'd have it sent to the mission office in Barcelona which your zone leader would go to once a month for a meeting with the mission president, and then he'd bring all the zone packages and mail back and whatnot. So, uh, you know, packages were, were especially awesome, but if you got a letter, you know, you, that was great too. Um, so the concept of, of hand was uh, all about the ratio between how often you sent a letter to somebody and how often they, they wrote back to you. A good ratio was one-to-one. -one. You'd write to a girl, she'd send you a letter back. But if a girl wrote to you more than you wrote to her, especially if this is a girl that you like, because, you know, occasionally you, you get the clingers on where it's like, okay, I, I can tell that you're thinking this is not really what it is, but uh, you have achieved a state of what is called hand. I never found out why it was called this. Um, mission lingo was often nonsensical. I've been told that it was a Seinfeld reference. Seinfeld isn't my deal, so whatever. But having, having hand, having that that kind of uh, appeal to somebody, basically, is, is a concept that, that has hung with me. I, I don't really use that term a whole lot because mission lingo is is so particular to a tight group of people that I would have to do an episode like this where I'm three minutes into explaining what the heck this thing is. Uh, but but that concept, that having that, that lull where you, you create something that somebody is so enchanted with that they're, they're waiting for you to create more and more of it, that's that's what I want to achieve as an artist. I want to create things that people love so much that they can't wait to get more of it. There are a few artists who uh, I've I've become familiar with their work over the years that 
that have done this exceptionally well. One of them, obviously, is Bill Watterson, creator of Calvin and Hobbes, the, a comic that only ran for 10 years. Excuse me. It ended almost 25 years ago, and it is still beloved by people. It's still finding new readers and, and new people to consume it. The, um, the illustrated combined editions are still selling for you know, $80 to $100 on Amazon. Um, you know, I finally bought a set for my family three years ago, and I'm still working my way through it. Uh, go listen to episode 58 from last summer, because I read a book written by a guy who did a whole bunch of research on Calvin and Hobbes, and uh, I, I talk about how Bill Watterson was really big on, on not wanting to do any merchandising at all. Merchandisers came to him, came to his syndicate for years. I mean... Watterson has legitimately left millions of dollars on the table, possibly billions, by refusing to merchandise, by refusing to sell something even as simple as a, an officially licensed t-shirt, as a, as a plush of a tiger for kids to have their own hops. He wouldn't do it. The only things that he ever licensed were calendars for about two years, and, and that was like sort of in the first five years of the run. He just wouldn't do it. He was adamant that the only way that Calvin and Hobbes should exist was on the page by his own hand. Uh, people might call it eccentric, they might call it whatever, but you know he's got values and he stuck to them and he created something that people loved so much that he set the terms on how it was going to be put out there and he didn't budge. I mean, that was, as an artist, that is about the highest level of power that you can attain, that you absolutely control your work. That the syndicates who published his work you know, they were constantly begging him to the point where they, they just began to accept and understand that he wasn't going to, to do this. He wasn't going to budge. And they stopped asking him and they started turning everybody away. That was, uh, that was Bill Watterson. A more modern and current example is a guy on Instagram. You might find uh, his handle is Roman Boutine. I'm probably mispronouncing that. He's a Russian guy. The name is spelled R-O-M-A-N-B-O-O-T-E-E. -E. N. This is a guy who does uh, little sculptures and engravings on coins and watches and cigarette lighters that are just extremely intricate and beautiful to behold. Um, these are working mechanical sculptures. He'll take a coin like the size of a silver dollar and he'll etch on the face of it like an Arthurian knight kneeling with his sword before a, a portal in the wall and you can pull the little tiny sword out of his hand and stick it into a slot in the side of the coin and the hole in the wall will open up to reveal the holy grail and like this this guy is incredibly intricate every piece that he makes is unique he's always working on something new he's etched faces of you know celebrities or cartoon figures or whatever there's this golden zippo lighter that he did with bender from futurama on it um, he only makes these unique pieces and he only sells them within the borders of Russia. Part of that is because of the laws of the Russian Federation. And he's always having to put this post out. I swear he's doing this once a month on his account. These big bright yellow posts with red text saying, look, to anybody who's new to my page, here's the rules. Uh, I don't license my stuff. I don't sell it outside of Russia. The rules are such that, uh, you know, I, I would be responsible for any faulty replications of my work, uh, you know, if he were to license it over there and somebody, you know, made a replica and it didn't work the way that his originals do, he as the creator of the original would be liable for it, which is just insane. But, you know, that's Russia for you. Um, 
so he just he wants to make these original pieces he absolutely does not take commissions and his his process is such that if somebody wants to buy something of his he'll he'll say make me an offer if i think it's good i'll take it and if you're familiar with my process that's even better there are people that have offered him 15 to twenty thousand dollars for one of his coins and he's turned it down for an offer you know maybe half of that because it's being bought by somebody who knows his process and isn't going to give him any crap and he can afford to do that and he'll even say like anybody reaching out to contact me as like an intermediary or whatever don't waste your time don't do it this is a guy who whose his work is so awesome and so high quality that he gets to set his, his working standards he gets to continue making his work the way that he wants to in a way that he loves and that is just, I mean, I, I stand and salute him. It's an American salute. It's not a Soviet salute. But I highly recommend that you check out Roman Boutin on Instagram. All right, so what is what is this all coming to? Why am I mentioning this? Uh, it's because I recently discovered a book by James Gurney. The 20th anniversary edition of this was published in 1992. So it's been around for a while. Um, I remember my little brother reading a novel in this series in elementary school. Uh, I never jumped into it. But somebody mentioned it recently, so of course I checked it out. Uh, I grabbed a, an art book of it from my local library. Pause for beverage break here. Uh, I'm not going to say the name of that beverage because they don't sponsor this podcast, so screw them. Anyway, the artist's name is James Gurney, and the series is Dinotopia, which you've probably heard of, and doubtless some of you listening to this have even read the books. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about Dinotopia, A Land Apart from Time. Uh, there are other books like The World Beneath, Journey to Chandara, uh, First Flight. Um, let me read you the quick uh, Amazon description of this just to sum it up. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Digitally rendered. Gurney's dramatic panoramas of Dinotopia and close-up character studies of its inhabitants, both human and Saurian, take on new vitality. What the heck am I saying here? Dinotopia presents a shipwrecked visitor's glimpse into an imagined social order, a culture, and even a cooperative interspecies technology that will satisfy lovers of fantasy and sci-fi of all persuasions. Um, the premise is that there are these two guys, a, a father and a son, that, yeah, they, their ship wrecks off the coast of some small continent slash island, and they're rescued by dolphins that bring them to the shore, and they get on the shore and they immediately find dinosaurs there. Holy crap, there are dinosaurs. Even holier, more crap, there are humans that live alongside the dinosaurs that quickly uh, you know, bring the, this father and son into their fold and they explain to them this place is kind of you know, apart from time, as the title suggests, but these dinosaurs have advanced and built a culture and built technology. Um, holy crap, the amount of thought that went into this book by James Gurney. I mean, he had to develop philosophy, technology, agriculture, uh, language and an alphabet, an entire 26-character alphabet represented by three-toed dinosaur footprints that is consistent throughout the entire book. History, trades, uh, a form of government, lessons on parenthood, religion, all of it. Not only are the philosophical and world-building underpinnings of this story sound, but then he went and created these awesome, extremely detailed oil paintings of of everything from from giant sweeping landscapes and and mountains and forests and shores and buildings and all of that down to like freaking dinosaur beds right uh you know 
focusing on on the eggs and stuff what the humans ate what the dinosaurs ate how they all work together i mean it's it's just amazing like i wasn't just looking at beautiful art and reading an interesting story i was i was looking at a guy who had really thought about how this world worked and uh and took you on a journey through it the same way that these dinosaurs and the locals were taking these new shipwrecked visitors on a journey through it and it was just incredible i'm gonna buy a copy of this for my library and, and study it because man like this is this is how much love and thought i want to put into my own work it kind of took me back to when i was neck deep in in my engines of liberty trilogy and you know it took me nine months to do all the art for that book and it's nowhere near on par with uh, how good this is. Uh, I've got a highway patrol officer pulling over here. He might be... Oh, no, he's uh, he's leading a oversized load. I'm looking back in the window. This guy was at the... Uh, this guy was at the port of entry that I just passed by a few hours ago. Gnarly. Anyway, Dinotopia, A Land Apart from Time, was an incredible book, an incredible artistic achievement, and uh, James Gurney has achieved a state of hand with the Brother Trucker Book Club podcast. Um... Yeah, I guess he's licensed other books in the world, and there are other authors that have come in and like written stories that are just novels, not really you know illustrated. Um, obviously, not as time intensive or labor intensive to produce as the art books that he's done. But man alive, if you somehow manage to make it through elementary school without experiencing Dinotopia, go to your library and grab. Please don't hit my truck. Woo! That's big. I'm really glad I pulled off the shoulder because, dang. These are buckets from mining haul trucks. I'm talking about, like, these buckets are the size of houses, and one of them just almost hit my truck going by. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Anyway, a little bit long on that, but uh, let me button this up so that I can uh, post this episode and also call the tire shop. Maybe they can get me on the road again so I can catch up to these guys and be stuck behind them for the next three freaking hours. Happy Friday, everybody. Catch you later. Drive safe. See you out there.